This is Garden Variety, a horticulture podcast from Iowa Public Radio and Iowa State University Extension and Outreach. I'm Charity Nebbe. When the growing season ends and most of your plants have died back, ornamental grasses often still stand tall, providing color, texture, and maybe even some habitat in your yard or garden. Ed Lyon, director of Ryman Gardens in Ames, is here to share some of his favorite ornamental grass selections. Ryman Gardens is an underwriter of Iowa Public Radio. Hello, Ed. Can you not hear me? I can hear you now. <laughs> I may not have been close enough to the microphone. Oh, I think you're great. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. It's a great morning to be on. So when somebody is thinking about planting ornamental grasses, I mean, there are so many options. So the first thing that you need to think about is why you want them, what what purpose they might be filling, right? Yes, and and when we say ornamentally, I like to use the term as as design elements because that includes native grasses as well as non-native. So um, let's point that out right away. Um, But there's a number of reasons I like grasses in in my beds. Uh, One is structurally they're different than other plants, and they provide uh, very often um, uh, an architectural form in the garden that's most welcome. I think fall is a great time to talk about grasses because that's when most of them mature. Um, And fall turns into sort of a different time of year, as we all know right now, with those just clean blue skies um, and of light that comes from the sun that is so much different. And if we have those grasses as sort of almost sometimes our background elements, this is when they really shine. Some of the color comes through, many of them will change uh, to a fall color, and we start to get breeze. And I say that after yesterday uh, being <laughs> major breeze. Yes. Um, but uh, I think people will notice that those sort of gentle breezes that come into the fall, the grasses provide a movement uh, that many other plants don't for us. And and they're uh, multi-purpose uh, throughout the seasons. Uh, many of the grasses will stand through the winter uh, when we won't see other things. So they have many, many attributes, um, um, depending on how you want to use them. Absolutely. And it's you mentioned native grasses. It is such a beautiful time of year to be in the prairie because, of course, things have changed color and the big blue stem is so dramatic and beautiful and the colors are so rich. It's also, of course, the time of year where you go for a walk and you see these ornamental grasses or native grasses and you think those are so beautiful. But, of course, it's far too late for you to plant them this year. So you really need to to be thinking hard about, okay, what do I want in my yard and and how to plant these next spring, right? Exactly. And and it's a great time to get out there and look uh, to see what they look like this time of year. Because, again, you're only just realizing you need them in your garden when it's really too late to put them in. So start creating a list. So when it comes around spring, uh, you'll be first in line when when these are at their uh, maximum availability. All right. Well, let's start with your absolute favorites, because there are so many options. Tell me a little bit about a couple that you really advocate for. Uh, Well, my all-time favorite is Hakona Kaloa Macra. Uh, which is our Japanese forest grass. And it's my favorite because I use it as a design element in my garden. I tell a lot of people when you start to design a bed, 
uh, the first thing I do is I look at how I want my uh, somebody's eye to travel through that bed. And plant materials designed properly can draw the eye through. So I start with contrasting textures because that is what your eye will pick up. And I'll use some very bold plants, and in my case, that could be hostas, brunera, pulmonaria. And then I'll use very fine textured plants, and for me, that tends to be a lot in the line of ferns. So I've created that sort of um, putting, by putting those plants together, and you need more of the fine than you do to the coarse, um, I do them in such a way that they draw the eye through. Then you can plop in almost any other plant, and it works. But then I want something that weaves that all together, and that's where I use Japanese forest grass. Um, if you were to come to my garden uh, and you look, the paths are sort of lined and, and offset with Japanese forest grass, which also helps to continue to move your eye uh, throughout the garden. And, it, and there are enough different forms of it, um, especially in this shade. It does it with golds and white uh, variegation. Um, so that one I use, uh, you know, from a, a design and ornamental perspective. All right, and that's not one of the super tall ones that we're talking about standing tall through the winter months. And it looks like it grows in clumps. Is it is it relatively easy to control as far as where you want it in your garden? Oh, absolutely. Uh, very easy to divide. It has a very strong tolerance to drought, which is odd because it doesn't have a very deep root system. Mm. Uh, you want to divide them. They're, they're shallow-rooted. They're very easy to uh, dig up and divide. They're slow-growing. Uh, they don't spread throughout the garden, which uh, that's something that we're looking at. And you, you say that it's not a tall grass to go through the winter. It is one of the grasses I leave through the winter uh, because if you have snow level that's only a foot or so, uh, it doesn't, this plant doesn't crush down. Oh, wow. um, you will see, and, and it's got this beautiful arching habit along the pathway, uh, and it's sort of all wheat brown all winter long. So I don't cut that back until spring. Um, I do consider it a winter interest grass. All right, so we're talking about Japanese forest grass. Give me another one of your favorites. Well, my most recent favorite, I haven't got it in my garden yet, but, but I've been seeing it in uh, public gardens, including, including Ryman Gardens, uh, that will definitely go in my garden next year, is a native. It is andropogon, the, the big blue stem. Uh, one of the problems we have with big blue stem is it's very large, so it doesn't always fit the smaller garden, and it's relatively rambunctious. Uh, it can seed down and, and displace a lot of other plants because it's a, a predominant grass in the prairie. But there are two new ones right now, and I suspect we'll see more, that are, and we say black. There's no such thing as a true black, but as deep purple as we can get to be black. Uh, one of those is called Black Hawk, and the other one is called Holy Smoke. And these are really so dark purple. They're close to black. Right now, these, these two grasses are just shining uh, in fall gardens because to get that really rich sort of deep dark burgundy purple uh, in the garden this time of year is wonderful and again it's another one of those plants uh, that sways in the wind adds some movement in the wind and again we don't always know 100 percent with new plants but it looks like it's going to be considerably shorter 
um, uh, than, than the straight species. So again, uh, that's a value to the home garner that doesn't have room uh, for big blue stem as a species. All right, so it's a new varietal of big blue stem, black hawk and holy smoke. And I'm looking at pictures right now, Ed, and, and it is just gorgeous. Uh, what else do you have your eye on? Uh, there's a new uh, switchgrass, and that would be our panicum uh, virginiana. Is that right? Virgatum, sorry. Glad I've got Aaron here to correct me. Um, and switchgrass is native. Um, many of the switchgrasses we've been using, there's been emphasis on sort of blue foliage and um, upright nature, and many of the switchgrasses are very tall. Um, but I just recently saw one uh, cape. Oh, goodness. Cape now, Breeze. Cape you sent Breeze. me the name. <laughs> yes. Um, it's lower. It looks more mounding. Uh, it has just a profusion of, of flower heads. And keep in mind, most people don't realize um, that, that those are flowers on a grass. Um, and, and it just sort of mounds maybe more in sort of that uh, three-foot uh, um, size and just masses uh, with the flower heads. And I just really like this sort of new, uh, uh, newish structure uh, for the panicums. I see that uh, uh, lots of applications in places where you don't want the really tall, vertical, upright ones. Well, and it's so interesting to look at these varietals of native grasses being used in a, a very different way than somebody who's trying to, to you know, reconstruct a prairie uh, habitat. Um, give me, we're almost out of time, but give me another <laughs> grass you're excited about. Uh, well, one that's been around a long time, and I just don't think it's nearly the use. I'm starting to see a little bit more Cesleria. Now, this one's a little confusing in its common name because it's called moorgrass, M-O-O-R, and our millennias are also called moorgrass, so it can be a little confusing as common names are. Um, but there's Cesleria cerulea, which is a spring bloomer. Again, keep in mind, the, the flower, the the heads are flowers, and then autumnalis, uh, which will put out its uh, stalks uh, in the autumn. Uh, it's smallish. <clears throat> It'll get up maybe to that sort of two feet high by almost as wide. But this thing is so drought tolerant. It's shade tolerant. I had it planted once right around the, uh, and under the root systems of a white ash. Everything else we tried to put in there just declined in the Cesleria uh, uh, throve. Um, in fact, there's a meadow of it at Ulbricht Botanical Gardens uh, in Madison, Wisconsin. It makes a great uh, plant for those alternative meadows as well. But you've got to like a plant that's lovely in its size and structure and then as tough as nails on top of that. With most of these ornamental grasses, is this something that um, are these perennials? Are they going to come back every year? Um, um, most of the, uh, and I, you have to keep in mind, if you're looking nationally, you're certainly going to find some grasses that are, uh, advertised, uh, that wouldn't be hardy for us, but, uh, this is another great group of plants and the number that are hardy, it, it's huge. Um, uh, there are so many grasses out there, uh, to select from. And then you start throwing in the carexes or sedges, which are in the grass family, uh, the, the choices then, 
uh, you wouldn't have enough. (laughs) Yes, you wouldn't have enough room for them all. All right. We've been talking about ornamental grasses. Ed Lyon, director of Ryman Gardens in Ames. For more gardening information and tips, please subscribe to our Garden Variety newsletter. You can find out more at iowapublicradio.org slash garden. I'm Charity Nebbe. Garden Variety is a production of Iowa Public Radio and Iowa State University Extension. It's produced by me, Aaron Style, Caitlin Troutman, and the Iowa Public Radio talk show team. For more garden goodness, please subscribe to our Garden Variety newsletter. Just go to iowapublicradio.org slash garden. I'm Charity Nebbe. See you next time. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.